You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. About 95% of Christendom believe in the Trinity. 95%. The Trinity is not taught in the Bible. Some, some would argue straight off the bat that the Trinity is not supposed to be understood. It's a mystery. Humans cannot comprehend it. So with the vast majority of Christianity believing in the Trinity, one would probably conclude that because so many do, it's true. Quite simply, the Trinity is not taught in the Bible. But yes, the Trinity is taught by many. However, this is the subject, this is the study of the deity. It's the study of God. And there's no better place to learn about God than to look at his word, the Bible. This evening, we're going to do a little investigation into God's word to see what the Bible says about the Trinity. When in doubt, just go straight to the source. John chapter 17, verse 3. These are the recorded words by Jesus before he was captured to be crucified. If anyone knew about God, Jesus, he ought to know. Verse 3. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. This is not a subject to be taken lightly or to just be dismissed unimportant to a Christian. In fact, Jesus himself says it's a matter of life and death. It is eternal life to know God. And Jesus Christ, who God sent. So never let it be said that understanding the Trinity is not important. The, the Bible's pretty clear. Eternal life is dependent on knowing who God is. And Jesus Christ, who God sent. So one might ask then, what is the Trinity? Well, the doctrine of the Trinity is that the deity, or God, is one person, which is composed of three different persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. These three persons are three separate beings. So the Father, he's not the Son, and the Son, well, Jesus, he's not the Father, and the Holy Spirit, well, that's not the Father, and, and so on and so on. Each is a separate physical person, and all three persons are what compose God. That is, all three persons are one person, who are co-equal and co-eternal. 
co-equal and co-eternal. It means that all three persons have always existed, and they will always exist, being of the same prominence and of the same status. Now, just taking a step back, that is the teaching of the Trinity. Now, for the remainder of this evening, we will inspect the Bible and see what God's Word says about the Godhead. After all, eternal life is dependent on knowing God. John chapter 14, verse 28. These are the words of Jesus. He's talking to the people who believe in him. And he says, You have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye loved me, ye would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. My Father is greater than I. Well, that's quite plain in showing a rank of status. God, he's up there. And Jesus Christ, well, he's below him. Even Jesus says so himself. My Father is greater than I. It's just, it's just what the Bible says. Um... There is, there is a Bible passage, though, that talks about God and Jesus being equal. I'll read to you from John chapter 5. I'll start reading from verse 15, and just, just for context. Jesus has just performed a miracle. He has just healed someone, and he's done it on the Sabbath day. Verse 15, John Chapter 5. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because... He had not only broken the Sabbath, but said that also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. If Jesus was part of the Trinity, now would probably be a good time to explain himself. Verse 19. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Truly, truly, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but that which he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. The Bible does not teach that Jesus and God are equal in status. Jesus can do nothing of himself. In other words, Jesus is obedient to his superior, to God. But God, well, he can act independently. 
God is above that. Now, Jesus says a little later in the same chapter, If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. If, if Jesus is part of the Godhead, he can't witness for himself. And, and for the Jews who are, who are listening to this, Jesus explains the concept quite simply. I am come in my Father's name. Jesus was a representative to God, of God. Now today, we have something very much the same. Well, it's on a different scale, but it's very much similar, the same. This man, Alexei Pavlovsky, he is a foreign minister to Australia on behalf of Russia. Alexei Pavlovsky is a Russian who interacts with Australia, and Vladimir Putin is his superior. As far as Australia is concerned, Alexei is Putin. He is Russia. He represents that to Australia. Alexei, he can't act on his own. He's not greater than his superior. He can't just do whatever he wants. He must obey his superior. But Vladimir Putin, well, he can do whatever he wants. He is independent in, in his own respect. It's just an example of a hierarchy, not co-equalness. Jesus can do nothing of himself. He is subject to God. And God, he's of greater status than Jesus. God can do whatever he wants. He's independent in his own respect, far more than anyone else. Jesus, he needs to obey his superior. And that's just what Jesus did. And he still does. John chapter 5, verse 43 it quite plainly says, I am come in my Father's name. Jesus represents God. Certainly, Jesus is important, but he's not equal to God. Now, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, it's talking about Jesus Christ and how he is compared to a priest I'm only going to read one little section from chapter 5, which talks about Jesus. I'll start reading from verse 5. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. 
and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that believe in him. Never let it be said that Jesus is equal in status to God. Jesus prayed to God. Prayer alone shows that Jesus is distanced from God. If these two individual persons are one person, why would Jesus need to communicate to himself? Not only that, Jesus' life was dependent on someone else. Even with strong crying, bowling his eyes out, Jesus knew he was mortal. He knew it very well. Jesus went through a process of learning. He had to be made perfect. He was in need of perfecting. To begin with, he wasn't so perfect. He, there was a process needed for Jesus to be where he is now. Matthew chapter 26 verse 39 as soon as Jesus was just a short little distance from his disciples he fell on his face and he prayed to his father if it be possible let this cup pass from me Jesus did not want to die execution by crucifixion was not an appealing thing to Jesus Christ. Jesus and God are two different persons with different wants and desires. But Jesus, he still obeyed his father, nonetheless. He still obeyed even to the point of death. Hold on. Jesus died on the cross. There are three individual persons who are equal in status and equal in divinity, but one of them has to experience execution and be treated as a criminal and end his existence. Well... God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, either they, they've also experienced the same thing and they've been executed, or Jesus is not so equal in status to God. Jesus' death, it, it's recorded in the Bible. So is his birth. Jesus had a beginning. Jesus' birth is recorded in very deliberate detail to show that the word, the idea, the plan was now a reality. God had a plan to remove the curse of sin and death. And this plan, this idea or word, it, it's existed all the way back in the book of Genesis. God had been planning for this a long time, but it was only here in the New Testament that this word, the, the idea, the plan, it was finally made flesh and blood. An angel, one of God's messengers, 
It appears to Mary, he, and the angel says, well, he says something quite noteworthy. Gabriel says to Mary, you're going to conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and will call his name Jesus, who is the father. Luke chapter 1 verse 35. And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Spirit shall come upon thee. And the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. I dare ask. Who is the Father? If the Holy Spirit was a personal being, if it was its own physical personal being, well then... Jesus is the Son of the Holy Spirit, not the Son of God. It, it makes God a liar. Gabriel becomes a liar. In fact, Jesus himself becomes a liar if he is the Son of the Holy Spirit instead of the Son of God. Because he keeps referring to God as his Father. Jesus' Father was God, not the Holy Spirit. Mary became pregnant with God's Son by God's power. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, it shows the same thing. Mary is with child because of the Holy Spirit. It's a miracle by a force or a power, not a physical being. That's why it's called the Holy Spirit. Jesus had a beginning. However, God, God, the King Eternal, the Immortal, Invisible, the Only Wise God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. God has always existed and he will always exist god doesn't need to learn god doesn't need to be made perfect god is independent he is so independent that psalm 90 verse 2 puts it that God existed before the world was created. He has always existed and he will always exist. Okay. What does the Bible say? Jesus and God are on a different level. There's a hierarchy system here. There's a rank of status where one is obedient to the other. Jesus came in God's name. Jesus represented God. Jesus Christ learnt through his life. He was made perfect. He learnt obedience and 
he knew he was mortal. He prayed to his God. In fact, Jesus relied very heavily on his Father. And God, well, God is independent. God has always existed and he will always exist. But Jesus Christ, he had a beginning and he died. The Bible does not teach that Jesus and God are co-equal. And certainly, they are not co-eternal. And the Holy Spirit, well, that can't be a physical being. Otherwise, Jesus is the Son of the Holy Spirit, not the Son of God, who he keeps referring to as his Father. The, the Trinity is not taught in the Bible. This, it leaves us now with two questions. Two questions. Firstly, if the Trinity is not taught in the Bible, then what is taught in the Bible? What does the Bible teach about God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ? And secondly... Where did the teaching of the Trinity come from? The vast majority, 95% of Christendom, believe in the Trinity. Why? Where did the teaching of the Trinity come from? These two questions are what we will consider for the remainder of this evening. Now, just, just to begin with, the, the Holy Spirit. It's referred to as a gift which can be passed on. It can be shared between people. It can be distributed. It can be poured out. And it's described as wind and fire. These describe the Holy Spirit as a power or a force, not a physical being. The Holy Spirit is just the power of God. It is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Where is the Holy Spirit? It's a really important thing. No, no, in fact, it's eternal life. Eternal life is dependent on knowing who God is. And Jesus Christ. But no mention of the Holy Spirit. If it was a physical person, a, its own being, that would be a really big insult. If it was a person. Now that we've covered the Holy Spirit, that's finished now. It can't be a personal being it's just the power of God. Okay? Let's now look more closely at God's representative, the Lord Jesus Christ. I am come in my Father's name. 
Jesus is not greater than God, but he does hold a status which is to be reverenced. I am come in my Father's name. The Bible has examples of this which explain the concept quite nicely. Exodus chapter 7 verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee, and Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh, that he send the children of Israel out of his land. God wants his chosen people his chosen people to get out of Egypt. Well, Pharaoh, Pharaoh doesn't want that. So God sends Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh, and God gives the two of them authority to carry out the work. Exodus chapter 7 verse 1, The Lord said, I have made you a god to Pharaoh. So. As far as Pharaoh is concerned, Moses is God. Aaron is his prophet or his spokesman. Well, hold on. Does, does that make Aaron an angel? No. He's just an ordinary person. Does that make Moses, is he part of the Trinity? No. He's just a normal human being. However, because of the job that they have to do, God gives the two of them the authority to carry out the work. So that from, from Pharaoh's perspective, Moses is God. Aaron is his prophet or his spokesman. God will be represented However, he chooses to be represented. God chooses two mortal human beings to represent him to a tyrant Pharaoh. Originally, the Bible was written in two main languages, Hebrew for the Old Testament and Greek for the New Testament. So to learn a little bit more about God, we're going to look at the original word for God in the ancient Hebrew language, which is what is used here in the Old Testament. The ancient Hebrew word for God is Elohim, meaning mighty ones. Gods in the ordinary sense, but specifically used of the supreme God, occasionally applied by way of difference to magistrates or authorities, and sometimes as a superlative or a describing word. Mighty ones. This is the same Hebrew word for the God who said, let there be light. This is the same Hebrew word used all the way through the first few books of Genesis. This is the word for God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. And God said, 
Let us make men in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Humans were created by the Elohim, by the mighty ones, by the angels, really, so that God's creation would have the capacity to reflect God. God was not just twiddling his thumbs, trying to occupy time when he made the earth and everything in it. He made it for a reason. Because thus saith Yahweh that created the heavens, Elohim himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it. He created it not in vain. He didn't make it for nothing. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. Isaiah 45 verse 18. Humans were made to fill the earth, and the Elohim made man in their image and likeness. God gave humans the ability to be like him. Moses and Aaron, they did what God wanted them to do. So God gave the both of them the authority so that as far as Pharaoh is concerned, they are Elohim. They are gods. Now, there's one more example of representatives that we will consider, and then we will look back at Jesus Christ. Joshua. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. The same principle is shown here. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. The Hebrew word for men here means mortal. It means mortal. There's nothing prestigious here. They're just men. As far as Joshua is concerned, he is sending two mortals to spy the land out. But in the Bible, this same incident is talked about in the New Testament. In the book of James. Likewise also... Was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? James chapter 2 verse 25. The New Testament was originally written in the Greek language. The Greek word for messengers here is angelos. It's the Greek word for angels. As far as Rahab 
is concerned, these two mortal men, they're just like anyone else. No, no, no. They are angels. They are God's messengers. And, and for Rahab, who showed amazing faith on this occasion, when she meets these two men, they are angels to her. They are God's messengers. I am come in my Father's name. Why should this be any different? On one occasion, Jesus says to the Jews, I and my Father are one. The Jews then take up stones to kill him. And Jesus then tells them that in the Psalms, they are called Elohim. The Jews, they are called gods in Psalm 82. I and my Father are one. Jesus was and still is one with God. And it's a similar relationship that these two men have. Oh yes, one, one is definitely far superior to the other. But as far as a common goal goes, they are one unit. They are one in purpose. They have the same objective. If you insult Putin, you have equally upset his representative. And if you ridicule Alexei, you've really got yourself onto Putin's bad side. In comparison, that's the same sort of relationship that God and Jesus have. They are one. There's harmony between the two of them. They're on the same, well, side. They're one in purpose. They have the same objective. And you can be part of that objective. John chapter 17 was read out at the beginning of this evening. Every part of that is God's inspired word, which Jesus spake on behalf of God, and it was recorded for us in the Bible. We're only going to look at one little section of this chapter, and for the sake of time, I'm going to start reading from verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. If you believe in Jesus, you are counted as one in God and one in Jesus Christ. What's more, the glory, the glory that God gave to Jesus, 
will be given to the believers, giving the believers the same glory that God gave to Jesus Christ. I in them and thou in me, that the work that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. The believers are one in God and in Christ. So let's not call it the Trinity. Let's call it the infinity. Because, well, thoughts. Lots of believers, lots of faithful believers, they've lived throughout the ages. And just to consider the Bible, the Bible was written by over 40 different authors. Mortal humans wrote the Bible and recorded. They recorded as they were inspired by God's power. God will be represented however he chooses to be represented. All the faithful believers are one in God and Jesus. God and Jesus, they are one with the believers. To be one with God simply means you, you have the same objective that he does. And, well... You can be part of this objective. You can be part of the unity that exists in Christ, that exists in God, even, even to the point of having the same glory that God gave to Jesus. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is unto you, and to your children, and to all that are afar off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. If you are comprehending this, God is calling you. This is how believers have unity with God. Repent. Be baptized. However, the Holy Spirit. Well, Peter is no longer here to give you the Holy Spirit. In fact, Peter is long dead. All of the apostles are long gone. So the Holy Spirit... It's not available to the believers anymore. However, that's not going to be a permanent thing. God is not a God of the dead. He is a God of the living. But now Christ is risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept for since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. Man. 
Adam, the first man. He's responsible for bringing about death. Mortality was created by the first mortal. And, well, very much the same. A man, Jesus Christ. He was responsible for the resurrection of the dead. Not exactly. Well, God was the powerful one who brought him back to life, yes, but there's a comparison here. A man brought death. A man brought the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive, but every man in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, afterward, they that are Christ's at his coming. Now, to begin with, Jesus was in Adam. And he died. However, because of the way he lived his life, in obedient service to God, to the glory of God, he has, with God's help, created a way to be saved from permanent death. But you have to be in Christ. Only two classes of people exist here. There's just two. You're either in Adam, well, by birth, or you're in Christ, by voluntary choice. And by voluntarily choosing to be in Christ, you can be made alive when the dead are raised to live and to be given the same glory that God gave to Jesus Christ. Just to be clear... This is not a digression. God is not a God of the dead. He is a God of the living. The Trinity is not taught in the Bible. What is taught is this. God will be represented however he chooses to be represented and well one day God will be represented in a multitude of people who are immortal immortal people who have the same glory as Jesus God will be represented however he chooses to be represented Jesus Christ is the first fruits. There's still an entire harvest waiting to happen. But really, that's a subject for another time. That's another subject altogether. How did so many, the vast majority of Christendom, come to believe in something which it's not even in the Bible. To answer this question, 
going to need to look back into history because the Bible doesn't tell us where the Trinity came from. History tells us where the Trinity came from. It began to be invented after the Bible was written in 325 AD. Lots of religious officials got together and led under Constantine. They argued about well, what's the real nature of God and of Jesus Christ? The Holy Spirit? Well, what's that? Well, they argued about it. They couldn't make up their minds. People were for the idea. People were against the idea. Constantine didn't even believe in the God of the Bible. And he, he's the one who led the procession. He's the one who led the conclusion. Constantine, he just wanted peace. He wanted an end to the arguing. Just, I don't care whether it's right or wrong. Just stop arguing. The Council of Nicaea ended. And those in the council then used the authoritative power of Constantine to crush their opposition and excommunicate those who opposed them. And in 381 AD, the Council of Constantinople was held. Again, they argued, couldn't make up their minds. They came to a conclusion about who they thought God was. Who they thought the Holy Spirit was. Jesus, well, he's got to be equal with God. The Trinity was the invention of humans. Now, once this new creed was made, Emperor Theodosius made a decree. He made it law. Which was, we now order that all churches are to be handed over to the bishops who profess Father, Son and Holy Spirit of a single majesty, of the same glory, of one splendor, who establish no difference by sacrilegious separation, but who affirm the order of the Trinity by recognizing the persons and uniting the Godhead. And well, anyone who disagreed, well, in agreement with the law of the emperor, and the church authorities, if anyone disagreed, they were labelled as heretics and dealt with accordingly. Well, it didn't exactly start there. It didn't really start there. and It, it didn't happen all at once. A philosopher by the name of Tertullian, helped the idea to develop. Tertullian didn't preach the Trinity. He just helped to convince everyone, Jesus, he, he's got to be some sort of divine being. Just like God. 
Aryan controversy. Well, we've already touched on the Aryan controversy. That was the Council of Nicaea. That, that, that's something that happened during the Aryan controversy. A lot of arguing. People for the idea, put pe people against the idea. A lot of arguing, really. Then comes along one of the Cappadocian fathers named Gregory of Nyssa. Him and two other bishops, they went about teaching everyone special terminology. Just to help stop arguing. Let's make the special new terminology so that you understand what we're talking about. This will make it easier to comprehend the Trinity. Someone by the name of Augustine came along and he led to the creation of the Athanasian Creed. What follows is a section from the Athanasian Creed. Whoever wants to be saved should above all cling to the Catholic faith. Whoever does not guard it whole and inviolable will doubtless perish eternally. Now, this is the Catholic faith. We worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the divine being, for the Father is one person, the Son is another, and the Spirit is still another. But the Deity, or the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit is one, equal in glory, co-eternal in majesty. What the Father is, the Son is, and so is the Holy Spirit. It goes on, uncreated, infinite, eternal. It took time to grow. It took a lot of time. There was lots of arguing. And Trinitarians today, they look back at the Athanasian Creed and hold it as the basis and the teaching for the Trinity. Oh, what's that? You want to learn about God? Well, yes, good, good. You need to learn about the Trinity. Yes, yes. Go read the Athanasian Creed. That will explain everything. The sun didn't disappear during this approximate time in history. What went dark was knowledge. All the common people had the bishops to teach them about God. And because of what Constantine set into motion, all the bishops had the power to make sure that you believed them or else. This. By the time something like this eventuated, it was nothing new. This picture depicting the Albigensian Crusade it shows where the belief in God had come to. <laughs> it was the first crusade specifically targeted at Christian 
heretics. The main focus of this military show was to crush people who believed in something different. You either obey the church and the authorities, or you are labelled as a heretic. To put it bluntly, belief in the truth was a crime. Ninety-five percent of Christendom believe in the Trinity. Oh yes, today it's different in in certain regards, thankfully. It's not forced on what you believe, but, well, the history we've just skimmed over, that's where it started. To conclude, let's look at the Bible. After all, that's really where it went all wrong. Let's look at the Bible. When in doubt, go straight to the source. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leads to life. And few there be that find it. Look, because of this quote alone, I'd be very worried about being part of the 95%, the vast majority. Many, many go down that path which leads to destruction. Very few go down the path which leads to life. Look, there's two destinations. There's two con. Conclusions. One leads to death. One leads to life. Take my advice. Well, no, 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 no. Don't take my advice. Take the Bible's advice. Choose life. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.